you know you need IVF? So PCOS in itself, um, as we talked about in episode two, is not a reason for IVF. Uh, So PCOS usually, for most women, I would say 90% plus of women in my practice with PCOS, I can help achieve a pregnancy um, through ovulation induction Mm -hmm. um, or simple lifestyle modifications and kind of tweaking insulin resistance and things like that so that they get pregnant when they ovulate and try naturally. There is a subset of women with PCOS who will need IVF or who we choose to use IVF um, to help. So how, how would you know that you need IVF? Well, that's one of the things that makes it important to have a comprehensive fertility assessment as a couple um, if trying to conceive with a, with a partner to make sure that we know what's going on. I mean, so one reason you might need IVF with PCOS is if there's a severe male factor that's the reason for IVF where we need to treat kind of um, by micro-injection, um, inserting yeah. the sperm directly into the egg because the sperm's not working properly. Yeah, ICSI. So ICSI, exactly. We don't, I don't know what ICSI really is yet, everyone, but we'll do an episode on it. Yeah, so ICSI stands for <laughs> intracytoplasmic sperm injection or sperm micro-injection, and it's really... <laughs> <laughs> intracytoplasmic sperm. ICSI's cuter, isn't it? <laughs> um, it sounds like, oh, ICSI. sounds like a cute thing. Yeah, but basically... Um, ICSI was invented in the 90s by accident and um, it was a technique that has really revolutionised fertility for the male in that we can overcome most causes of male factor infertility. So situations where sperm donors would have been used in the 80s and early 90s, we use ICSI now and help men have related children, um, genetically related children. So. In terms of um, women where their partner has a severe sperm problem and they have PCOS, um, that's a context where IVF might be used. Mm-hmm. Another is there is a subset, a vast minority, but a subset of women with PCOS where ovulation induction uh, is very imprecise and often overshoots yep. and is associated with a high risk of multiple pregnancy that's unacceptable. And in that scenario, IVF can actually reduce the risk of multiple births by um, the fact that we can put one embryo back at a time at the other end. Yes. So when the ovary wants to make a gazillion eggs in one go, um, not a gazillion, but a lot. More than one. Many, many. <laughs> uh, often in the case of, of PCOS, then um, we can kind of adjust the multiple pregnancy risk at the other end okay. by limiting embryo transfer to one at a time. So that that's another situation where PCOS might be needed. Um, so, so, sorry, IVF might be needed in PCOS. Yep. Another situation is if a woman with PCOS has a genetic concern or a couple have a genetic concern they don't want to pass on to a baby and they want to use um, pre-implantation genetic screening or pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. So that has nothing to do with PCOS? Nothing to do with the underlying factors but more about screening screening the embryos. And we can do that for known conditions. So, for example, like cystic fibrosis is an example, but we can check for any known genetic condition that's passed through the generations mm-hmm. genetically. Um, but we can also use it when women are older and women who have PCOS may be attempting to have a baby at a later age where spontaneous problems uh, are more likely to arise, chromosomal imbalances or abnormalities, um, of which for the most well-known example is Down syndrome. Yes. Uh, but as well as causing kind of syndromes and problems, chromosome abnormalities also cause a lot of miscarriages and they cause infertility in itself because abnormal embryos sometimes just don't implant and don't work. And um, so women with PCOS are to some degrees blessed when they do come to try to conceive at a later 
age because if we can get a lot of eggs in one go, we're more likely to find a good one. Okay. So that there are the contexts. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's, those are the kind of the contexts where we might use IVF. And, of course, women with PCOS um, are excellent candidates for egg freezing. Of course, because they have so many eggs. Because they've got so many eggs. <laughs> so you can get a lot in one go. And those are the kind of the scenarios where we might use an IVF-style yeah. treatment. But um, is, I think we said earlier, it is only about 10% of cases. It is. And, you know, I w- my, my first recommendation for women who have PCOS who are trying to conceive is see the right person. Go and see a reproductive endocrinologist like myself. So you see someone who's a, who's a subspecialist in fertility um, as well as a gynecologist um, who has a qualification of CREI because what we do learn in the CREI in the extra years of training is to become masterful at ovulation induction yes. and to offer a comprehensive range of fertility treatments, not just IVF. Okay. So for more information about CREI, there's someone... Dr. Ray Dealer's website, Melbourne Health, Women's Health Melbourne. And also we have an episode about choosing your doctor and things to look for. So um, two resources to check out to give you more information. So with PCOS and IVF, there are certain things that we do need to consider when thinking about treating a patient. So there is a situation called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome that's a side effect of IVF or a medical complication of IVF. And so women who have polycystic ovaries, if they're treated in the wrong way... They'll go into... Hyperstimulation. Which is very serious. Look, it can be. And, you know, there are women around the world um, who have died from hyperstimulation. Yes. Yes. And others who've been very, very sick. Yeah. And uh, in terms of minimising the risk of hyperstimulation with polycystic ovarian syndrome... You should be handled in a in a particular way, mm-hmm. in, and um, we shouldn't be blasé about it. Yep. And in terms of what we aim for in treatment and the kind of regimen that we use, mm-hmm. um, we can really reduce the risk of hyperstimulation dramatically for women with with polycystic yeah, ovaries. Absolutely. So what my approach would be is to um, have take a lot of consideration to the dose of follicle stimulating hormone that we use. Okay, yes. Um, to always use a what we call a GnRH antagonist cycle type because it's it's a cycle type where we can use a kind of what I call a get out of jail free card, which is the agonist trigger. And um, these these are medications. It's not so important to know exactly what they do, but I'll try and explain. Yeah. The GnRH agonist is is a way that we stop is women that from. Yeah, so, so that GnRH is um, it's it's a gonadotrophin releasing hormone. So it's it's just the name of a hormone. Yeah. So the GnRH agonist trigger is um, something that can only be used in what's called an antagonist cycle. Okay. And that's the get out of jail free card I was talking about. And basically, what that means is that um, with someone with polycystic ovaries. Yeah. Um, most often we're not aiming for an embryo transfer in a fresh cycle and there's lots of reasons for that and I'll talk about that. But what we're trying to do is, is um, stimulate the ovary, collect eggs, make embryos, freeze them yes. and let the body simmer down. And that is the safest way, the absolutely safest way to try and, to, to try and help a woman get pregnant but avoid any complications of hyperstimulation. Okay. Uh, we can uh, aim for a fresh embryo transfer with PCOS, but it's it's much more risky in terms of hyperstimulation. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, you kind of when you aim for a fresh embryo transfer with PCOS, you kind of like there's a lot of things that aren't so good about that. So 
one of the things is that the kind of regimen you'd use for a cycle if I was doing that would be I'd significantly dose reduce. So I'd, I'd be very, very cautious. And even on a very low dose, you can still hyperstimulate with PCOS. Yeah. And I think we'll probably do an episode about fresh versus frozen embryo transfers. Yeah. But right now we're just discussing it directly relating yeah. to PCOS. But particularly with PCOS, yes. the more eggs you have that come along, yes. the higher the risk of hyperstimulation. Yep. But also the more abnormal the lining of the uterus because... Yep. It's undergone that process of creating It has, eggs. it has. Yeah. And basically in a natural cycle, there's one egg driving kind of the ship. So there's one, one egg making kind of one, one dose, one quota of estrogen to grow the lining. Yes. And that's what's meant to happen. Whereas when you have lots and lots and lots and lots of eggs, yes. the lining of the uterus has huge amounts of steroid hormone influencing right. it. And you need and to have a menstrual cycle... To release it? Well, it's just that the lining becomes quite abnormal. And we know that if we look at it under a microscope, it looks abnormal. Okay. And the more eggs you have, the more inappropriate it is to do a fresh embryo transfer. Okay. So that's another reason that, you know, what I call cycle segregation mm -hmm. or having one planned treatment to make embryos and then another for a transfer is, is the way to go with women with PCOS. Yeah. Other special issues with women with PCOS is egg collection can be more uncomfortable. So if you imagine that if you have the average patient having, say, 10, 15 eggs collected. Yeah, that's good. But that's 10 to 15 pricks to the ovary to collect them. Right. Now, if you collect, you know, kind of 20 to 30 or 30 to 40 eggs in one go, as can happen with PCOS. Yes. Uh, you can understand why the poor ovary is a little bit more bruised and battered. Okay. So your egg collection can be more painful. Whilst it's amazing that you're getting two dose, two rounds of, of egg stimulation in one go. It is more painful. It is more uncomfortable and you're more likely to have particular complications post-operatively. Yeah. So there are still some things. You'll be under for a little bit longer. You'll be under for a little bit longer. So your a bit longer. Pain symptoms afterwards can be a bit more. You can have a little bit more bleeding from the ovary sometimes. Mm -hmm. There's an increased risk of something called ovarian torsion, which is when the ovary twists on itself. And that doesn't happen often. It's like incredibly rare, even with PCOS, even with IVF. But yeah. When it does happen, it's a surgical emergency because you've got to untwist the ovary so it doesn't die. So um, it's one of those very things. Rare, very, very, very rare. But it's something we think about. So there's special considerations for women with, with PCOS that, um, you know, we need to think about to make IVF as safe as it can be. Yeah. What is best practice when it comes to doing IVF with PCOS? So well, there are some things we can do to mitigate the risk, to reduce the risk of hyperstimulation. So I would say best practice is I, I often do use metformin in my patients who have PCOS when I'm taking through IVF treatment because yep. that does reduce the risk of hyperstimulation. Yep. Um, I would always use an, a GnRH antagonist cycle with an agonist trigger yep. if I have any concerns at all about hyperstimulation. Just in terms of that stage, that antagonist, is that an injection or what? Yeah, so most of the medications used in IVF are given as injections. Okay. When you think about IVF, you've got to think, I, I kind of think of the antagonist cycle in layers. Yep. So the first layer is follicle stimulating hormone, which drives yep. the follicles to grow and, and the eggs to grow. That's generally administered um, in a subcutaneous injection. It can be a long acting. In, into the skin. Um, it can be long-acting or it can be short-acting. So some versions of this hormone are given as a daily injection from early on in the cycle. Some are given as a, as a long-acting uh, injection that lasts for a week. Uh, and um, these medications can be self-administered. You can give them yourself. Um, so you can go in and have... administering 
just to be clear, this means injecting yourself. You can inject yourself. Or I have some patients who come in and my nurse does it for them if they're yeah. not feeling like they can do that. Yeah. Some people have a friend or a partner who administers the injections. But look, my I'll, I can give you tips for injecting, um, but basically... Um, yeah, but basically my my advice is any woman who's ever had a bikini wax can give herself an injection. Yeah. And those injections are so comfortable once you get used to giving them. They're not uncomfortable at all. Yeah. Uh, it's just that the idea of injecting yourself can be a bit freaky. Yeah, it's the idea of it. It's not the actual, yeah. But once you've done it once. It once you've done it once, it becomes quite easy. And uh, one tip I often do give is numb the area with an ice cube before you inject. Yeah. And just use a little pinch of fat on the tummy. And move it around a bit yeah. so you don't get bruises. And your nurse through the process would talk you through this. Absolutely, anyway. I can absolutely. Also tell you that YouTube have videos, but I wouldn't recommend them. <laughs> Maybe speak to your nurse. Yeah. If you um, keep your doctor on your side. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't watched the YouTube videos. <laughs> Maybe I have to. Um, maybe we should make a video. Uh, in terms of. Uh, antagonist cycles that's the second layer so the second layer of the medications is purely to stop you from releasing eggs early to stop you from ovulating and that's because we need to be able to control when we do an egg collection something that we don't do ad hoc we you know need to book it in it's a surgical procedure you need to fast um you know your doctor has to show up at the right time so you know it's it's something we need to plan and so when your estrogen does rise with all these follicles and eggs growing quite quickly in the cycle, which is the normal trigger for your body to ovulate, we need to block that signal. So the antagonist part of the regimen is just to prevent ovulation. It's really important and it has to be given at the exact right time every day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few different brands available in the Australian market, I'm sure more overseas. Yeah. Um, but generally these medications are given once a day at the exact same time every day. And then when we use a GnRH Agonist trigger in a, in a GnRH antagonist regimen. It's like giving the antidote. Okay, so it's to stop. Yeah, so it's just to stop that action and you surge naturally. So yeah. you don't have any what we call a beta-HCG trigger. So the classical trigger used in IVF is beta-HCG, actually pregnancy hormone. And the reason we use pregnancy hormone as the trigger is it's inexpensive, it's easy to make, and it acts on the LH receptor, which is the surge that you have in the normal cycle, the LH surge. So it's kind of like a fake LH surge. But we believe LH surge just gets you to ovulate. And so when we're ready to go and do your egg collection, by giving you this kind of GnRH agonist trigger to reverse the actions of the antagonist you've been taking all along, Um, can, when given at a specific time before the egg collection, get the eggs to release and become ripe so that we can collect them. Yeah, and so what happens then is that after an agonist trigger, the cycle just crashes. So you have your egg collection and then a couple of days later you get a period, much sooner than if you'd had another kind of trigger. Especially if you've got PCOS and you don't know when they're going to come. Yeah, so you definitely will get a period after the trigger. And it comes quite quickly and it's basically the end of the cycle. Your body goes back to normal, um, swelling goes down, ovaries go back to normal very quickly and hyperstimulation doesn't happen. And that's where if you've got PCOS, rather than have a fresh transfer at that time, have that cycle, have your period, have your body go back to normal. Yeah, have a month off and then prepare for the transfer. So what I'd normally do if my patient wasn't having a regular period yeah. is I'd just make a time to see them. Yes. Depending on uh, when the, uh, what the what the plan was. So, yeah. for example, if we were testing embryos, we might wait for the result if we're doing genetic testing or something like that. Yeah. But 
otherwise I'd just probably see them um, when they got their period. Um, there's a few different options for embryo transfer. So by then the embryos hopefully are in the lab frozen. So they've been put with the eggs and sperm being put together on the day of your egg collection. Yep. And the next day you know how many are fertilized. And then a couple of days later you know how many are frozen. Yep. And so... What we then do is plan to prepare the lining for a transfer. Mm -hmm. We can use, depending on the reason we did IVF in the first place. So if we were doing IVF because it was too hard to get you to ovulate through ovulation induction because we're getting many too many eggs in the one go, yep. then ovulation induction might not be the right method to do your embryo transfer. Okay. And we could use what's called an artificial cycle where we prepare a little bit like taking the pill. You take estrogen you know, every day for about 10 days and check the lining and then take a sequential course of progesterone and suddenly the lining's receptive. So we can prepare the lining like that. Yep. If you are having natural cycles or ovulation induction works for you, yep. then we can use a natural cycle um, by tracking your ovulation. With PCOS often that just means it takes a bit longer because the ovulation's a bit more irregular, but we can still do that. Um, alternatively, we can use ovulation induction methods either with oral tablets or with follicle stimulation hormone mm -hmm. to create the right environment for the embryo transfer. Okay. So if you have everything ready, yeah. you have the most successful outcome. Yeah. That concludes part three in our series on polycystic ovarian syndrome. Next week is our final part for, of the series and then we'll go on to a new topic. For more information about PCOS and any other questions you might have about fertility, you can visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au or find us on the socials, Women's Health Melbourne, or you can email us at podcasts at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. See you next week.